You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. Isn't it amazing how much time we are paying attention to the news, how it's taking up the majority of our brains, it's rooted in there? You know, I feel I'm riveted, but I don't even think that gets to it. It's it's beyond riveted. And watching what's going on, the Trump enterprise, which has replaced normal life, one feels like one has to keep one's eyes on the news, whatever is happening, in case it will get worse. And by the way, I feel it will get worse. It still gets worse every day. Like, How about the first federal execution was approved at 2.30 in the morning the other day by the Supreme Court, really? The first federal execution in 17 years, and it happened while we were all asleep. So sleeping isn't recommended, but of course sleeping is recommended because without sleep, we're really a mess. I am now at a place of deep rage that I have confessed about on Facebook, a place I usually don't go. And this anger I feel is not beneficial to anyone, certainly not me. It's not productive in any way. I get it, but I am, you know, overcome. But I have good news for you. I've asked Andy Slavitt, who is a health expert, a pandemic expert, to be my guest this week, and he agreed. He was the former acting administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services under President Obama. He stated in 2015 that he wanted to prioritize the health care and its reach to the underserved population in both rural and urban areas. He worked on Obama's heroin task force, and he was on Vice President Biden's Cancer Moonshot Task Force. Andy Slavitt worked on the Affordable Care Act as well until the final days of the Obama administration. And since Trump's inauguration, Andy Slavitt has traveled around the country to explain what the new administration's repeal of the ACA Act would or the ACA would mean to regular Americans. By this past February 2020, Andy Slavitt was criticizing the Trump's team's preparedness for the incipient pandemic. In early March, he wrote an open letter to the American governors warning them of the likely inadequacy of supplies of beds, ICU units, ventilators, and equipment due to the unstoppable spread of COVID-19. Since then, Andy has been one of our country's leading advocates for staying home, respecting the lockdown orders in place, wearing a mask to protect others from this frightening virus, and he is a proponent of contact tracing. I read his tweets and threads devotedly. They are realistic about how grim things are, but they are well-grounded in science, which is really the only way out of the pandemic. Science. As a matter of fact, this podcast is sponsored by science and the letter S. Now it's time for my five things. Number one, sitting at my desk. I avoided my desk for a long time, but right now my desk is my happy place. First of all, the air conditioning in my office is really good and I'm not in a direct line, so I don't get chilled. Secondly, 
although it may look a little disorganized. I have receipts in one place, letters in another, notes in another, and believe it or not, recipes. So I just like it there. I feel productive. I, I get it done there. Okay, number two. In the category of I'm a different person since Corona-19, one of my favorite things, frozen pastry crust. I have bought frozen Pepperidge Farm pie crust. I have bought frozen puff pastry crust. I'm not going to really try to outdo anybody and make a puff pastry from scratch. But I never made desserts willingly before. And now I look at fruit. I love summer fruit. And I think, ooh, that would be good in a pie. Ooh, that would be a great tart. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening to me. Maybe I need help. Am I doing it for my boyfriend who is a big sweet tooth? Maybe I'm doing it because I can't embroider and I want to make something so badly. Anyway, frozen crust is the answer. You just have to figure out what the question is. Number three, reading offline. A lot of you are complaining that your concentration is kaput. I get it. But have you tried reading something in its natural printed on paper form? Because I think reading something long and involved online is is not, you don't get involved in the same way because there are things beeping or you know you can look at your email or you see that you got a text. But if you take it off the machine and read paper, you can really get more involved in it. A friend of mine in publishing actually accused me this week of being a 90-year-old because I don't read ebooks. Sue me, okay? Number four, I am finally throwing out broken pens. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but for some reason, I live in the denial that if a pen doesn't work today, it might work tomorrow. And if the pen looks kind of fancy, I don't want to get rid of it. Well, I have started a new chapter today. I have four huge containers of pens and pencils and markers and erasers on my desk. I don't need that many. I'm getting rid of the broken pens. I feel someone should give me a parade or something. I can't wait, but it's, it's, it's a new me. Number five, Dr. Fauci and science. As I said, this episode is sponsored by science. What is it about real science that scares the president and his band of crooks? What is it? Is it they've ignored the truth and don't want to get caught? They knew this virus was coming. They knew this pandemic was on its way, and they acted like they didn't, except for the ones who profited through financial chicanery. Science is the way out. Science will provide a passage through these terrible times through COVID, through global warming, through shortages of power and food and forests and clean water. Listen to the scientists, please. Read the science stories in your newspapers and in magazines. It won't hurt. Coming up, Andy Slavitt. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. My guest today is Andy Slavitt, who was part of the Obama administration. He worked as the acting administrator of 
the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And he has a, a very moving story about how he entered the healthcare space in the first place, because you were an MBA student, weren't you, who went to work on Wall Street? Oh, Andy? I've got all kinds of sordid stuff in my past. <laughs> very, very mysterious past. Yes, no, but exactly. uh, I read that you had started out in New York, um, as many people do, to start their career, and, and things were going in one direction until a friend of yours got sick. Well, yeah, my college roommate uh, from from Penn, who was a pre-med when I was there, uh, died of a brain tumor uh, when we were both about 10 years out of school. And he was, he'd been recently married and had twin one-year-old uh, at the time, no life insurance for, mm. uh, for another reason. And then as a result of that, uh, his widow, Lynn, and their two kids, um, Josh and Judy, who just just graduated college, by the way, a year ago, Wow! Um, moved in with us. My wife and I, we'd also just gotten married. We had our little infant. Oh, it, man. Yeah, my first year of marriage was two wives and three kids, <laughs> which, you know, I'm not going to say I recommend. It sounds better than it is, especially when one of them is crying the whole year. But, yeah. But, uh, it, you know, as a result of that, I ended up starting a company that was aiming at serving people who had a lot of medical bills through no fault of their own, who were under underinsured. Uh, I became an internet company, and that kind of did launch me into healthcare. And I, I think you know, just as a side note, a lot of people who end up in medical school or in healthcare were really motivated by knowing somebody who, you know, a, a sick relative or having lost a friend or having become fascinated with curing or helping or healing through that. And, um, you know, it's, it, it makes the effort so much more personal and urgent, I think. Well, absolutely. You know, my story, unfortunately, is not unique, but you're right. It is personal. It is motivating. And we have to keep it in the top of our minds so we, we don't forget why we're doing this. And that as big as this system is, you feel quite small. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how powerful mm-hmm. you think you are. Um, when you're in, in thrust in the middle of the most vulnerable time of your life and you're sick or you've got a big medical bill or you don't know what's going to happen to you or when that happens to a loved one, it can even be worse. And so hopefully, you know, the great people in healthcare are the ones that bring that story with them every day. Yes, yes. So I am talking to you, I assume, in Minnesota where you live? Yes, I'm at an undisclosed location here in Minneapolis. (laughs) Okay, so you're in Minneapolis, uh, a wonderful city, and you have become kind of a a go-to authority on this pandemic and how it must be handled. And what I do every day is read your tweets, which I will tell listeners who are unfamiliar with you, they become threads, they become a conversation over the course of 280 characters, 13, 20 times, whatever it is. And the message is often the same, which is science, 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 wear your damn mask. It's been proven to halt the spread of the coronavirus. What is so maddening to me, and I'm sure to you, is that 
people are finding arguments against believing science and certainly not wearing masks? I'd say science, 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 and compassion. Um, Mm. uh, This is a tough time uh, for people. And, you know, we're struggling. We're all struggling. Uh, For some people, it may not appear that they're struggling because they're angry um, or, uh, or they're demanding or they're disagreeable. And some people are struggling in different ways. Some people are struggling because they're feeling the direct consequences of the public health crisis. Some people are struggling mm-hmm. because they're feeling indirect consequences. Um, they, they may have built a restaurant over 10 years and they, they may have lost it. They mm-hmm. may have a, a lot of anxiety that is just overwhelming them. And so it's an enormously excellent time to just be a good person, be helpful, be understanding mm-hmm. as much as possible. And mm-hmm. yes, you know, as we learn about this evolving disease, which we don't yet understand. There's way more that we don't understand than that we do. It's leading us to un- ad- adapt our behaviors, or it should lead us to adapt our behaviors, because right now we're the number one way of combating or controlling this virus and preventing other people from getting sick. There's people that have to show up to the grocery store every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't have a choice. For those of us who have the luxury of not being a quote-unquote essential worker, we owe it to them to do things like wearing a mask and keeping ourselves healthy because they're putting themselves at risk to service every day. I actually don't understand the big deal about the mask. I think through one's mask, like one's t-shirt or one's baseball cap or one's I, 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 yarmulke, you can express your affinity with the local football team, with the local baseball team, with Black Lives Matter, with Joe Biden's campaign, with beautiful flowers, with a picture, you know, with a picture of a dolphin. I mean, I don't, or just a plain bandana. I don't really understand the reluctance to wear it, except that the president and the people on Fox News have politicized it, which is, it goes against what I know about logic and science. And we now have facts that people who wear masks do not catch the aerosolizing in the air. So, you know, we've done a lot of research into this question. Why, why are people um, not wearing masks and what are people's objections? And in fact, we did a whole podcast episode on how to talk to someone who disagrees with you about masks. It was the number one question I would get. And we had people come on um, who um, I think did an excellent job talking this through. But people's principal objection, I mean, if you really want to understand it, because I think it's easy to, it's easy to mock people who disagree with us. But if you really want to uh, understand it so that we can communicate and hopefully get to a place where more people are doing it, um, they don't like, these are people who their principal objection is they don't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can logic ourselves through that and say, well, you don't like to wear a seatbelt, but you do. You don't like to wear a motorcycle helmet, but you do. You don't like to, mm-hmm. um, you, you prefer to smoke in front of other people, but you don't, because um, th- those are things that are uh, regulated. But it's a new thing, and never, w- whether there's merit to it or not, uh, people don't like that. So, you know, when I talk to governors and mayors and legislators and so forth, you know, I emphasize a few things. One is you, you, you're not going to be able to force compliance. You're not going to send the police around to people's homes. So mm-hmm. you have to keep telling people why. You have to keep explaining to people. You have to keep listening. I testified in a number of different cities. We're doing you know, ordinances and so forth. And there's a lot of data. 
But if you shove a report in someone's face and say, see, you're wrong. Um, they won't read it. It's not only when they won't read it. It's not very effective. No, no one likes being told mm-hmm. they're wrong. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, people have the most luck with other approaches, including, you know, here's why I've made the decision to wear a mask. Um, mm-hmm. And under, so, so that kind of respects people's, you know, that, their choice. Like that, their, that they their absolutely volition. have personal choice, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That they have some yeah. agency in this. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I understand that one of the reasons Jacinta, is she the president or the prime minister of New Zealand? She's, a, she's the prime minister. Prime minister. One of the reasons she did so well and the country recovered so fast with no COVID cases anymore is every night she got on TV and said, thank you for your sacrifice. Right. And I have a friend who was exiled there, just bad timing or good timing. And she's still there. And she said, we all felt so appreciated in our effort to help one another. Isn't that something? Yes. Isn't that something? It is powerful. powerful. By the way, she did it in her pajamas. Um, Yes. After she tucked her her kids in bed. And she got on and she she just talked to people. And she thanked them, and she understood them, and she listened. And I think that was just beautiful. I mean, by the way, the countries that have done the best at this all mm-hmm. happen to have women leaders. Yeah, funny, funny how that is. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it's true. The compassion and the not placing herself above and thanking everyone. Now, in this country, we don't have a policy. We have a president who wore a mask once under duress, who doesn't think it's manly. We have governors who refuse to insist on social distancing. I understand that when you put two things on a scale, one is health and one is economy, that some people will say the economy is more important. And I don't want to suggest that it isn't. But the fact is that opening up cities, states, amusement parks, colleges has been disastrous. Put whatever you want on the other side of the scale. Put the economy, put schools, put education, put put all things that have value and merit. Uh, unfortunately, it's a false choice. You can't choose the other thing uh, without solving the public health crisis. It is a path to, not a scale. So if you don't solve the public health crisis and make people feel safe. Who is going to spend money to improve the economy? Who is going to buy cars? Who's going to travel on airplanes? Who's going to hire people and sign leases? Nobody. We'll have a very weak economy. Who's going to be comfortable sending their kids to school? Some people will, some people won't. But none of these things happen unless you take on the core issue. And uh, and to your point, the political leaders um, are aiming to do everything but i think the national political leadership is aiming to do everything but and it's just a very 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 bad calculation in addition to just being a very poor human decision right but what would it take to to solve this i guess it would take as you said compassion because right now the government wants to help out their buddies in big business rather than the small the smaller sufferers who actually do the work and the grunt work and the essential workers and the cleaners and the, the janitors at the airports and so on. And I guess give people some kind of break, whether it's no taxes for a year if you're under a certain bracket or I, I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert, but I'm thinking about how we could treat people with more equity and more equitably. Well, look, all you have to do 
is look outside of the United States and pick a country. You can pick, talk about Greece, Vietnam, Czechoslovakia, New Zealand, as you did, Australia, um, Singapore, um, Hong Kong, um, mainland China, uh, Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can go, I can go on and on and on. Yeah. Every one of these countries has figured out a strategy to contain the virus and keep the economy, I wouldn't say fully back to where it was, but much further along than we are without the herky-jerkiness. Now, they're all going to face the need to be vigilant, and they're all going to face new cases, but they'll face them in the handful. They'll face them in the dozen, and then they'll mm-hmm. close down around them, and they won't, they won't have wild, uh, uncontrolled growth. So we don't have a strategy. Mm-hmm. We don't have a strategy, but it's not, that doesn't mean it's not possible. It is quite possible. It just takes a few things we've been unwilling to do. Well, you've been you've been studying this virus for a long time. And when you were in the Obama administration, you were part of Obama's heroin task force, I believe, and Vice President Biden's cancer moonshot task force. And you're the person to ask. Yes, we hear every day about advances in testing. I, I saw a video from a scientist at Beersheba University in Israel, who has made an active COVID test that takes one minute and uses saliva instead of (laughs) putting a swab up near your cranium. I have, and and waiting eight or nine days to get the answer. I've seen talk about something being developed in Oxford that is a very promising vaccine. We're all hoping for this miracle to happen. I think we are unrealistic in our desire to have this solved. I mean, for one thing, it may not be an instantaneous fix. And for another, it may take a while to get this vaccine deployed around the world. Or am I wrong? Will it, will it be easy to get and free and so on at first? You know, there's an expression about the U.S. healthcare system that goes something like, we're all breakthrough and no follow through. So we, ah. we so we sit around and wait for some silver bullet to rescue us. And the truth is, you're exactly correct. We should be applauding what science is doing. They're moving very rapidly. But people think about when they hear the word vaccine, they hear it, I think, unfortunately, in the wrong way. What people, the way people think about it is exactly as you said. They say, well, once there's a vaccine, we will. Or I will do this until there's a vaccine. And the implication is that the vaccine will be something like the MMR vaccine. Right. The 7% right. effective, you know, you get it once and you're all set. More likely, what we will have is something that is a lot closer to the influenza vaccine. Works mm-hmm. on 40 to 50% of people, needs to be boosted every once in a while. Uh-huh. And we're going to have multiple different things. Think of it as an arsenal of things. Right. Uh, convalescent plasma, um, other therapies, um, ways of treating people differently in the hospital, the, and, 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 a, and more than one vaccine, all right. of which together doesn't do a perfect job, but step-by-step step gets us back closer to normal. And one of the parts of that equation is very likely going to be our own behavior, meaning mm-hmm. that an ongoing part of the equation um, is going to be, do you shake hands with a stranger? Do you wear a mask when you're sick or in certain seasons or when case counts are up? All of those kinds of things will be an ongoing part of the equation. Do you go into large crowds uh, and under what circumstances? 
Do you let your aged parent go into a, a very crowded church with poor ventilation? All of mm-hmm. those things mm-hmm. uh, are going to be part of the ongoing equation. Over time, the contagion rate and the fatality rate of this disease is absolutely going to go down, mm-hmm. um, but it will not go down at once. No, I think it's going to take some time. As you say, first of all, everything that is in the lab right now, and I do believe that the urgency of this pandemic has caused scientists and their staff and doctors to work double time, triple time, overtime to try to develop both a vaccine and and therapeutics. But at the same time, It's going to take a while. The process takes a while. FDA approval takes a while. Manufacturing takes a while. I mean, I've been telling myself and a few people who listen to me that we will be wearing masks, just as a matter of course, for a year or two and find a pretty one, get a velvet one to match your jacket, you know, and, and we're not going to be going out the way we were. And we can just deal with that because in the face of it, two years sort of spent at home out of a life of 70 years or 80 years is not that big a deal. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And by the way, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan and I, we're going to come out with a mask that says, I don't believe in masks. So that way people can feel feel comfortable that they've made their... Uh, That's that's funny. That's funny. Look, I I never, I remember when the uh, seatbelt law, you mentioned seatbelts, was enacted. And I said, I'll never get used to that. My God, that is so much work. (laughs) I mean, it's already, it's already sort of second nature to put on a mask before I leave the door. One other thing, technology will get better. So we will have masks that are washable, that are mm -hmm. breathable, that are more comfortable, that are easier to fit. Uh, So over time, you know, you know, people, people who don't like it, you know, maybe they're never going to like it. But you're right. You'll cross a th- you'll cross a point where it'll be like leaving your house without your car keys or your wallet. You're like, Correct. I forgot something, and you'll get it. You'll put it on, and you know what? It, it ain't no big deal. I mean, if you told me, hey, Andy, you could save a whole bunch of people's lives by spending ninety nine cents and doing something that made you feel a little bit awkward, but people, people's mothers and sisters and fathers and grandfathers and would be alive if you did it, I'd say sign me up. You'd say sign me up. Of course. Of course. And I I do believe most of us will. I guess what happens is, since everybody has a movie camera with them at all times, when someone really misbehaves and has a hissy fit at a supermarket and screams at, you know, an innocent grocery bagger, I'm not going to put on this mask. I have First Amendment rights. I have rights. I can't breathe in my carbon dioxide. It's against the law. You know, I guess there are a lot of people who are very frustrated because they have been staying home. They have been alone. They are missing people. They don't work. Their income is is iffy. Mm-hmm. We're, but But I think what we all need to understand is it's not us. It's not why me. It's why did this happen now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's also make the best of it. Yeah. All right, we all, That's all it, we can do. People want to blame somebody. They're angry. I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I'd say one other thing that was like the, the whole like glaring at the people who don't wear the mask thing. Uh-huh. Um, Does that work? I don't think that works. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I mean like, I, I'm not the glue. I don't like, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't agree with people that don't wear masks. I wish they did. I hope they get there. 
But, you know, going around and glaring at each other, I feel like we're going to regret that. I feel like, I mean, I have um, tons and tons of emails and texts from people who've said something ineffective. I'm not speaking to my father or mother who, who watches Fox News because they won't wear a mask. And I'm not speaking, mm-hmm. or I'm not speaking to my kids because they won't uh, not socially mm-hmm. distance and, and all this. And they're like, what should I do? How do I convince them? And I said, you want to honestly know what I would do? First thing I would do is I tell them I love them and I respect and I hope we find a way to meet on meet grounds and that this is a very, mm-hmm. very tactical decision that has nothing to do with how I feel about you and hopefully about how you feel about me. And we're all trying to figure it out. And like, do not break your relationships over this. Um, I know there's tough situations. I mean, some of them are like, I'm, I'm co-parenting and my spouse is completely irresponsible and exposes my kid and I've got a medical condition. And, you know, these are very hard condition, hard situations. Um, yes, but we have a lot sure. of hard situations sure. in life that, and we, they generally don't, they generally tend to get solved when we find some common ground and a meeting ground. And they generally tend to get solved when we talk about our own vulnerability rather than calling people morons. Yeah, calling people morons is 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 not always effective. No. I find that the person you call a moron doesn't appreciate it. Usually not. Yeah, yeah. When November 3rd rolls around and we have an election and perhaps the regime will change, do you feel optimistic that the incoming administration, if it is different, will be more science positive, reinforcing, <laughs> will not badmouth the medical establishment that actually studies this and, and finds other ways to um, turn this into a uh, snowflake issue. Night and day. Night yeah. and day. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not guessing. I, I, I talk to the folks. You know folks. for sure. Yeah. yeah, I talk to those folks all the time. And, yeah. you know, his, one of his closest advisors is a gentleman named Ron Klain, who led yes. the Ebola um, right. uh, re- uh, response? And he always mm-hmm. a guest on my podcast. Also, you can you can listen to him. But I would say that's something else. It's not Democrat versus Republican. I think it's very specific to Trump. I mean, if if Mitt Romney were president, yes, this would be yes. handled well. If George W. Bush were president, I, this would be handled well. Larry Brilliant and Mike Levitt. Um, yeah. and and, uh, and George W. Bush were very focused and very worried about pandemics. So I, I, you know, there are people who have historically considered themselves Republicans over time, and you know, it is not a feature of the Republican Party to be this irresponsible. It is a right. feature of this president, right? Specifically, and apparently, anyone who wants to align themselves with him is similarly, whether it's Jim Jordan or whether it's right. Kevin McCarthy right. or right Michael out of whether Obama. it's cowardice. Or whether it's you know uh, you know trying to score points or or fear uh, of getting tweeted against or whatever it is, yeah, there's yeah. weird. There's a weird phenomenon that I did not predict um, that Donald Trump shrunk the GOP, but he completely took over what was left of it. Amazing, isn't it? It is. It really is. Well. You know, I I can't wish, pray, cross things fast enough in order to have a compassionate administration that believes in science and will not turn against the experts and won't, on the one hand, say, I know all the best words, and then somehow 
come out with a word salad that mocks Joe Biden for wearing a mask. Well, you don't need to wish, pray, or hope, or any of that stuff. You just work the phones all day yep. long. You work. It's it's a matter of work. Uh, now, whether we can knock on doors physically or not, I mean, my wife yeah. knocks on several thousand doors every campaign season. She makes phone calls twenty four seven into into states and into districts. Uh-huh. Um, and so when people tell her, "Gosh, I wonder why Hillary didn't win," um, <laughs> and they did knock on any doors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, she's she says, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. So hopefully people will get out there and work and hopefully yeah. people get out there and vote because. Yes, absolutely. It's, for, it's, a, it's a good time for that. Yeah, it totally is. I probably met your Well, I probably did meet your wife, but I'm I'm a door knocker and I go to Pennsylvania you. every four years good for you. And, uh, you know, it's it's you learn a lot leaving your little bubble. Yeah. See how I worked in the bubble uh-huh, because nice. I want I, I want people to know that you have a wonderful podcast. Uh, as you mentioned, you get very good guests. You work with your son Zach, right? I yeah, I do. My eighteen-year-old son Zach. The whole podcast was his idea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's the only thing he's willing to do with his dad. So you know, when, when he said, "Dad, we should," I, whatever he had said after that, I was going to say yes to because uh-huh. Vic says that. And he said, we should do a podcast. I thought, okay. And, uh, it's done, done, done. It's, uh, you know, the theme is it's, it's 50% Winston Churchill, 50% Fred Rogers. So it's, <laughs> it's a voice of clarity delivered in hopefully a friendly way with help people that are helpful and then giving people inside exposure. So Zach just said, look, I sit around and watch you talk all day long to people in the white house and to people in the Senate and Congress and, um, you know, people who are scientists, because why don't you just record that? And, you know, so that's a large, a large part of it is what is going on. And people, because I think people feel better with information and they feel better to hear it directly. They're smart enough to process it. And there's a lot of different angles to this mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. people have questions about, whether it's schools. This week, we just had uh, Bernie Sanders on today. We had the two mm-hmm. leading scientists that are working on vaccine on last week we have susan rice coming on we have you know we have a whole you know it's a there's a whole bunch of different angles and questions that people have and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we try to be helpful well you are helpful and that's why i really actually i heard your podcast one day while i was waiting online to get my covid test Mm. and uh you actually made me feel better oh of course that moment that moment of impact of the swab into the highest point that had ever been reached <laughs> by man or machine. Exactly. That is that is a uh, that is a wondrous moment. I felt like at last I can breathe because I was breathing from my brain huh. where they poked the hole. But you know, wow. it was you were the perfect person to oh, listen to. That's nice. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for all your work. And I guess you and Zach and the rest of your family might be moving to Washington next year, which would be a great thing for us. Nah, we're gonna move to California, I think. What? Yeah, the earthquake. Well, we're we're wife's from California. Our kids were born there. Zach is going oh. to college next year, um, oh. in some form or another. Our oldest is our oldest just graduated college, and you know I promised long we you know, we moved to Minnesota, and you know I spent my time in Washington, and so I, I promised her we would go back to somewhere warm. So mm-hmm. we'll uh, that's the plan. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, you can still consult by Zoom. Always happy to help. Okay, good. Okay, Andy, I asked you for five things that make your life better, and you came up with a really good list. It's it's good to know that people who are doing important thinking and important advocating and important research also, they're human. You're human. <laughs> you have five things that make your life better and terrific. Sure and Okay, number one. A morning with nothing that I have to do. When was the last time that happened? Actually, my scheduler really tries to give me some spare time during the day because I'm often up late at night. And the idea of having the first few hours free, I go to bed easier. Um, and then and it's not like I don't do anything when I get up, but I love having things I could do but nothing mm-hmm. I absolutely have to do. This is a very freeing feeling. So maybe I'll go for a swim. Maybe I will do some research. Maybe I'll start, maybe I'll write because I do a lot of writing. Maybe mm-hmm. I will just have coffee uh, and stare out the window or talk to my wife. And if I start the day that way, I just feel good as opposed to the days. And I've had plenty of days in my life when it's like get up at six o'clock to get on the airplane at six thirty, And, you know, those days start out, stressful so it's a yeah. job when i can do that and I, I really do try oh that sounds good that sounds very good out the window looking out the window and seeing something green mm-hmm. I bet. absolutely um okay number two friends who let me have their back and have mine in return well i think i think uh you had your roommate's back and his wife's back that makes sense that yeah. people would do the same for you. There's just no greater feeling for me, for me. Well, the two great things, I mean, feel good inside. One is yeah. being helpful. So right. you just told me that you, I was helpful to you when you were in line uh-huh. and you listened to my podcast. I get goosebumps from that. Um, you know, when you find out you did something that helped somebody, made someone feel better, smile, uh, and related to that, uh, laugh because I really have this sense of myself that I'm a very fun, that I'm much funnier than I actually am. So I think I'm really, <laughs> I, think, I think I'm just like, uh, a, so I remember I had Tina Fey on the podcast. Uh-huh. I'm such a buffoon. All I could do is tell her jokes. Like, I'm like, oh, that's I, funny. Right? I'm like, I'm trying to out funny Tina Fey and I couldn't even help myself. But you know, I think when a, when a friend calls and needs something um, mm-hmm. and you can do it, it's the greatest feeling in the world, friend, family, otherwise, because you bring up someone saying it's true. Like, I mean, I would say it's even true for people you don't know very well. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good one. Where uh, I, I'm often interested in um, how adult men see their friends because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's often said that it's women who, who really maintain the friendships in the family and control the, true. you know, the, the social life. Are your friends from a certain part of your life? You're the ones that you really, you know, when you think about your inner circle. Yeah, I mean, they're they're from various parts of my life. Um, they'll be my friends forever. But if we went a year without talking, it wouldn't affect our friendship one bit. Because, yeah, you know, right. I just they're doing their thing, I'm doing my thing, and spending an hour on the phone catching up is just like a lot of work. Um, but if they called, like you know, when my dad passed away, like. Friends from all over the country, wherever they were doing, they just, I didn't ask anybody to. They got on a plane and they flew to California where we were living and they came to the funeral. And, you know, when they walk up the hill and you see them there, you know, 
it means the world. Overcome. It's overcome. You get Absolutely. overcome with emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I mean, there, there are guys who do like guy trips um, every, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, golfing or they go Las Vegas. I, I, I don't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Once I got married, I cut that shit out. I just did. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm not, why is that an anchor for me? I like, and so if my friends invite, if I have male friends who invite me skiing, and they're really uh-huh. good friends, and I'm, you know, I want to spend the week with them. I want to be able to consider: Do I want to do it, or do I not? Not like, hey, honey, sorry, we do this every year, and this right. is the thing. So I prioritize my friendship below my marriage, um, right. above, above, you know, above, and my and my kids, of course, and but above just about everything else. And yeah. they should too. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I don't golf. I, well, that's a thing. If yeah, you don't go, then, yeah, then what can you do? Shop. Okay, number three. Right, number three is when our dog, who's a puppy, but he's kind of growing up a little bit, uh, rests his head on my lap. Because it's not like he does it all the time, but like if I'm somewhere and I'm working, I'm doing something, and he's sitting, he climbs up on the couch next to me, he'll look around, doing whatever. And then if he like, gets tired, he puts his head on my, on my lap, I'm like, that's a good moment. That's yeah. a good moment. That, yeah, especially since your kids are so old, they can't do exactly. it anymore. I get no cuddling for my I get no cuddling no for our kids because they're I wouldn't think boys. So. Yeah, they're yeah. not so cuddly. They were cuddly when they were babies, but they're not cuddly. So when, when yeah, physical look, it's one of the things that's hard for people about this coronavirus is physical contact is a meaningful thing, and people are listen. I, I, I the way you describe handshaking will it come back i love a handshake i love a firm handshake and i'll tell you why a firm handshake usually suggests very strong eye contact Mm -hmm. the firmer the handshake usually a a sort of dead trout in your hand is not such good eye eye contact So I, um, I love that. I love that sense of this is a moment that you and I are sharing. And I'm sad that that may but never come back. People are finding, and I bet, I bet you you will find that there are other customs people develop, as they've done around the world. I mean, if you look at someone and touch your heart and, 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 and make that's, eye contact, you know that's what, that's, that's a, that's a you know, so there'll be other things. Yeah, okay. I guess kissing and hugging is out. You know, it. we're going to have to work around that. I mean, because when we have a lot more testing, a lot of the things we don't think are possible will be will be possible. But okay. no, people people need, I mean, there's... We need touch. We, we definitely need, need, we need, we need to thrive. Yes. And, and yes. Sorry, that's, and that's a non-negotiable for the long term. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that yeah. out. Yeah, that's your job, okay? I will, I'm on and it. And when you figure it out, give me a call. Okay, number four. It's a little bit repetitive, I guess, but when there are people who need me and I can help them without doing a lot of work. I love that. <laughs> Let me just make a phone call to my friend, Ron Klain. Let me just make a phone call to my friend, even, Jill Biden. Even that's a lot of work. Just make, even, yeah, so really? I, if I could do it in a text, like the, the less work, I'm going to be totally honest here. I love helping people and I like look like I've done like I've done a lot of work, but I love when I can do it with like, you know, you know, maybe a, a text. That's why like people get texts from me and I'm like, uh, Joe, meet Bernie, you know, you know, boom, that's it. That's it. You know, or like one sentence yeah. or, you know, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then like something great blossoms from it and they come back and they're like, wow, Andy, that was, and I have no recollection because I <laughs> right. did it in like half a second. And, right. And I know that I won't do work for things that are important. I, I will. I'm being just a little bit funny here, but like, 
man, there's, I love it when like, it's a no brainer. Yeah, well, tell you what, like people who are, like we invest in underserved communities and these, these entrepreneurs in underserved communities. And someone was like, Hey, I used your name and got X, Y, and Z out of it. And it really helped. Do you mind? And I'm like, I did. I love that. I just, yeah, nothing. Yeah. I did nothing yeah. and I was effective. Give me more. I got it. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to try to d- drop your name in very yeah, exclusive company. Go for it. I yeah. don't do anything. Just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm, d- I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm excellent. doing it right now. I'm, I'm multitasking. Feel free. Yeah. Okay. And number five. I, I have great 80s pop song. One in particular or any? No, no, just like the... Just the, I just the kind of like upbeat, like picks you up. It doesn't have to be the eighties. It doesn't have to be pop, but but uh, like a new wave song or you know mm-hmm. something that reminds you of the past that has some energy to it that gets you it, a little bit um, of adrenaline rush. Is it? Does it help if if it's a song you knew from college sure. or high school? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, it's just it's a song that has a. That brings this sort of familiar thing in your brain waves, uh, where, where if you get this like little bit of dopamine rush, uh-huh. um, and it just reminds you to relax. It reminds you that, like for me at least, um, you know, I could have had a clenched jaw uh-huh. and not even realized it, right? And then that comes out, and I'm like, oh, whew, my shoulder. And then you out. hear the Eagles, and you and you yeah, something you can uh, yeah, something you can sing along to. I'd say. Right. That's a you know that's and, and and you know I that that's good. It makes my life better. Well, that's all we're looking for. This show was was created to give people a moment to think. You know, life isn't that bad because life has been very hard, and even before the pandemic, and you know, before the impeachment and all that, and just think, wow, you know what? I made somebody's day better. I ate a great slice of watermelon that I'm savoring. I listened to the Beach Boys. Um, I, I took a hot shower and I forgot that hot showers were stormy or whatever. It just, you know, it's the little things that help. Do you think that those little things are where the deeper meaning is? Or do you think that they're just frivolous things that make us feel better. I think in some respects, those little things are the moments, give us moments where we don't have to think because we're all thinking hard and worrying so much. Mm -hmm. And yes, deep down, when you hear that 80s tune, you're brought back to a place of real joy Mm -hmm. from when you first heard it. And then you remember what the dorm was like Mm -hmm. at Penn. And Mm -hmm. then you remember going out for pizza with your friends. And then it takes you down a really joyous little reminiscence. Yeah. That's what I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway. You're good to do it. I'm sure you help a lot of people. Well, I hope. I hope. Well, you help a lot of people and you do all the time. And promise me that when you figure out how hugging and kissing come back and I kiss my boyfriend through my mask and it's, it's kind of, you know, it's silly, but it's not, no. It's like a condom. It is a condom. It is. It's no, he's wearing one. I'm wearing one. It's two condoms. We can barely, we can barely rub noses, but still. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't you, 
isolate together or you isolate? Yes. You isolate together? No, we isolate together. So that's when we're in public and he has the unbelievable and unstoppable urge to kiss me right. because he's, wait, he's only human. He's human. Right. <laughs> can- Andy Slavitt, you're funny. Yeah. See? Yeah. Right. You really uh, are. You, could, you, have no, you really you could, are. You could say anything to me, but if you'd say I'm funny, whatever you could, you could, you, I'm yours. You, you get anything you want. Okay. Well, okay. So you know what I want. I want the okay for hugging and kissing. I want to, I want to talk to you again sometime. And I've really enjoyed this and I respect you. So, you know, it's a twofer for me. Me too. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to five things that make life better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Andy Slavitt. Andy was the former acting administrator for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid under Obama. He is also the host of his podcast with his son, Zach, called In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt. You can follow him on Twitter and Facebook at aslavitt and Instagram at Andy Slavitt. And I highly recommend you follow him on Twitter. That's how I learn so much and feel better about science. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc. Every positive review helps us find new listeners. My blog is at lisabernbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Espresso Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a damn mask and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.